Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. Nice enough to join us from quarantine. And that night sound like he's got time to kill, but still, he, he's given us and the listeners what we want, which is to hear about his career. So today's guest is an Olympian. He's won Commonwealth Games. He's a five-time Asian champ, and he's a four-time FIB medalist. Please welcome to the show, Chris McHugh. Chris, thanks for doing this, man. Hey, Matt. Thanks for uh, having me. Glad to uh, fill some time in and uh, have a bit of a chat. It's, uh, it's been a big year of uh, beach volleyball, so... Happy to uh, happy to be here and happy to have a chat. Yeah, this is awesome. So uh, most of our listeners are based in Canada. I am proud to say that we do have a few Australians and we, we've had some Australian players on the show. So people who might not be familiar with your career, I kind of want to start with how did you get into beach volleyball? And the reason I ask that is I think Australia is such a great sport community where you probably have options to do stuff. But a guy your size who moves as well as you do, was there not indoor volleyball? Was there not uh, Aussie rules football? Did any other coach try to pull you away or how did you finally settle on beach volleyball to be your sport? Yeah, look, um, I sort of started playing volleyball. So in Australia, um, volleyball is not uh, one of the, the big sports. Uh, we, we're probably like a third-tier sport in Australia. So it's uh, the big ones here are like AFL footy, which nobody in the world plays. It's kind of like you know NFL, I guess, um, and basketball and, and cricket. So for me, I sort of fell into to playing spike zone which is uh, modified indoor volleyball so for a side playing badminton nets um when i was in year so like year four uh, and that was purely because my best mate uh played and wednesday afternoons was for me uh, it was clarinet lessons and uh i have zero musical or artistic bone in my body and hated it so i was like i want to go play this mom could i want to get out of uh, clarinet lessons and i sort of uh sort of fell into the sport and started playing there in, in primary school and sort of made the switch to beach volleyball when I was, I was 13, 14 with a mate. And like most uh, players in Australia, you kind of get to a point when you're sort of 16 that um, you need to make a choice between going indoor or beach. Uh, and I was just lucky enough to be offered a, a scholarship to the AIS or Australian Institute of Sport at the time. Uh, for beach volleyball, which was in Adelaide. So I chose uh, beach because, you know, I love the summer and, and I love the challenge of, of no no substitutions. But, yeah, I had uh, over the years lots of people wanting me to play cricket or footy uh, purely because I'm, I'm a reasonably big dude and reasonably athletic. Nice, nice. And I'm curious, is that how your Youth Worlds works? Like, did you win a bid to represent Australia Youth World Championships because you're a part of the Institute? Or do you have to win a tournament? Is there a trials? Like, what's the process to represent your country at such a young age? It's with Junior Worlds, uh, it's changed over the years a fair bit. Um, we're not like uh, the United States or Canada where you guys have a like a one-off tournament and whoever wins goes. Uh, it's kind of based off who's in the, the talent pathway, the talent ID pathway. It's more of a selection process, but then there's also a series of camps along the way. Um, when I was a junior, uh, each year kind of get together, 
Um, but we also have the luxury, I suppose, in Australia being the Southern Hemisphere that you have the whole summer of tournaments, uh, whether it's national tour or junior national championships, to sort of show your wares a little bit. And then selections are based off that. Uh, and so it's not just a straight out one-off tournament. Nice, nice. And you did mention you guys have a national tour and you had played at like a high level. And I imagine you're playing against adults. But when you went to your first Youth Worlds, was anything eye-opening just about being on tour and playing other countries? Like, was it different or do you feel like you were ready for that level right away? Uh, so my first under-19 World Championships was in Bermuda uh, in 2000 and I think it was 2005. Uh, and so I went with as we sent two teams um, and what this, we were in the second team, which was the younger development team, I guess. Um, and so it was myself and Harrison Peacock who ended up representing Australia at London 2012 Olympics uh, in the indoor program as a setter. And so he was 15 and I was 16 uh, playing in the under-19s um, in the qualifier and uh, that tournament. Uh, the year level was quite strong. And so we ended up playing the first round of the qualifier, uh, Nikolai Giontella from Italy. Uh, and because obviously now we know how good Nikolai is and absolutely got our butts handed to us. Uh, and in the second round, ended up playing, I think we played Brazil. Uh, and so lost lost the two games in the qualifier pretty quick and, and we're out of the tournament. And, and that tournament uh, ended up having a hurricane coming through the next day. So... We got shipped out. Our, uh, our first experience of international beach volleyball was, was literally 48 hours and then we got shipped home because the, uh, the hurricane was coming pretty strong. That's, um, that's crazy. But, yeah, look, going going from that, playing Australia to, to playing guys who uh, from international countries who play a lot of volleyball quite young. Uh, in Australia, we, we don't specifically just play beach volleyball or volleyball we play you know over the course of my junior career i was still playing hockey i was still playing you know footy cricket and so it wasn't just volleyball where you know these guys were training full-time since they were very young uh, and so it is a bit of an eye-opening experience going from australia to then overseas where you play the guys from poland and, and russia and even to some certain extent us and canada where they play so much volleyball so young uh, and they're so good, so young as well. It, it's interesting to hear how young you were when you went on tour because looking at your FIV profile, like you play your first youth one in Bermuda, but then the following year, it looks like well, maybe it was by design. You played uh, the Montreal Open here in Canada, and then you went to another Youth Worlds. And then in 2008, it looked like you were on tour full time, but still going to Junior World Championships. So uh, how did it happen so quickly that uh, all of a sudden, like you get your first taste at Youth Worlds, like you said, your partner's 15, you're 16. And then two seasons later, it looks like you're, you're a full time pro athlete on the tour. I guess I was just very lucky. Uh, at the time that I came through as a junior with the Australian Institute of Sport, the funding was very good um, and that there was the, probably the first real uh, investment in the junior sort of side of the sport for beach volleyball. Uh, and so uh, I was very lucky to, as you say, like go and play in the Montreal tournament. We played country quota and then uh, we ended up playing Mexico uh, in the first round of the qualifier. And, got soundly beaten but uh but also that event uh josh and shoddy at the time i think i got second in that event so being around that tournament and seeing how um shot slack went about their business and being able to soak in 
uh, the whole experience was as a junior, like a phenomenal experience for me. Uh, and then traveling from there, so I think we went to Poland. Uh, played okay, but didn't do great. But the next year, myself and Sam, we we got the opportunity uh, straight out of high school to to go on the world tour and, and to experience it. And we had a pretty good year. I think we basically went from qualifying one week to then not qualifying the next week and kind of alternated qualifying that season. And being fully supported through the the sorry, not fully supported, but supported by the program to go and do it quite young is is something that uh, has probably set me up for the rest of my career and some of the experiences that I had. And probably over the years, not many athletes uh, from Australia have had that opportunity to play so many tournaments so young and then experience the world tour and, and everything that it has to offer in such a short period of time. Uh, and it's something that I'm very grateful for uh, to the program and to Volleyball Australia that I was able to get on tour and, and see, you know, Mark Heath play, to, to see Manuel Ricardo in their prime. Um, and, you know, to maybe the, the results came and went, but definitely set me up for, for better things later in my career. Yeah, it's great to hear how supportive uh, just the Australian Federation was. And the one event I wanted to pick your brain on is the Adelaide hosted, and you guys took a main draw result there. I'm curious, did you get a wild card into the main draw, and how important was it to play against that? Or did you guys have to work through, again, a country quota and a qualifier to get that? Because I think uh, the host country thing helps, but sometimes it's also a grind because all your other countrymen want to play in that event too, right, where it's not as easy as being nominated sometimes. So uh, I'm curious, uh, again, being so young but getting a main draw result, how did that one come together in Adelaide? Yeah, it was uh, – we so – Adelaide hosted the – it's 2008. We hosted a World Tour event down in Glenelg, in Adelaide, um, which – the the week the two weeks before the event was really cool. We had a lot of world tour teams come to train in Adelaide. Like you, you roll up to training at the National Training Center, and you had Kolodinsky, Seven Bombs, and the Eric Karang and David were, were around as well. And that was just a really cool environment. Um, the two weeks before the tournament were probably the hottest two weeks of the year. It was thirty eight degrees the whole way through, and then of course when. Uh, when the tournament started, the storm came in and it was windy and 15 degrees for the whole tournament. So it's kind of a little bit uh, anticlimactic in terms of the weather front. But for, for us, we did get the wild card, the host country wild card. Uh, Shoddy and Josh got in on their own points. So there was two spaces available for Australian teams. Um, and we, at that time, were the second-ranked Australian team on on a whole base of metrics, whether it was the national tour, we were winning the national tour and, and doing some other things. So there was certainly some competitions for the other spots um, in the qualifier, but also the other main draw spot. So I think they ended up, oh, it's a long time ago, but I think they ended up just basing it off uh, national tour results and, and then who got those positions because there was a national tour event before the world tour event started as well. And one name you've mentioned a couple of times that I do want to bring up is you got the opportunity to play with Slack. And I think the time you guys hooked up, he had been to, I think he'd been to all three of his Olympics or at least two of them. And I'm curious, was that the Federation design or did he choose to play with you? Were you pursuing him? Like, how did that partnership come together? Because uh, that's a guy who's accomplished everything in our sport. And it's so cool to see uh, sometimes when the vet picks up the young and up and coming guys. So I'm curious, how did that partnership come together? And what did you take from that experience? Yeah, Josh um, Josh competed in three Olympics, as you said. So he's competed in Sydney 2000 uh, with uh, Grinlobs, 
then 2004 with Andrew Schott and then 2008 with Andrew Schott. Uh, and then he took a year off uh, to go and explore other things and, and ended up coming back to the sport. Um, I certainly did pursue him. I was I was like 19 or 20. I was young, dumb, and had no idea what was going on. Um, and I think it was more the himself and the coaching staff kind of looking at the options and within the program and putting it all together and like we think Chris is the – the best opportunity. Uh, so actually, yeah, started playing with Josh quite young. Um, and I was, I think we worked it out. There's like 13 and a half years age difference and a, a vast gulf of experience for sure. Like the guys, like you said, like the guys done everything in the sport. He's a, he's one of the, the true giants of Australian beach volleyball. Like he's won a bronze medal at the world championships. He's won, you know, multiple medals at, at World Tour, Grand Slams, he's beaten the best teams in the world multiple times. He's been to three Olympics. Like, the guy's done it all. Uh, and so as a 20, 21-year-old walking into that team and going, oh, there's a, there's a lot of pressure here, but also such a great opportunity to learn from such a great bloke as well. And probably one of the most, you know, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but also one of the most competitive people like you I've ever come across. He he's a warrior, and he the amount of times in games that you know you think you're, you're down fourteen eleven in the third, you're like oh, and Josh goes and serves two aces and gets two blocks, and we're back at fifteen all, and you know he, he just pulls it out when he needs to, um, and such an incredible athlete as well. Um, you know, he, one of the original guys that could really jump like a meter and for a guy who's only probably six foot three, six foot four and blocking, uh, he really had an impact on the game that you know not many people were doing at the time as well. Um, and so, yeah, for me, being having the opportunity to play with him, um, you know, I, I wish that I knew the things that I do now when I played with him because I think we, we got some decent results from a couple of quarterfinals and in, in events and, and, Ultimately, it's probably me as the junior not being as consistent on the court as, as I could be and just took the – didn't achieve some of the results that we wanted and, and obviously didn't qualify for the London 2012 Olympics. We got super close. We lost the, the Continental Cup final to Japan, uh, to Shiatori, um, which, you know, that, that, that hurt a lot. Um, but – Ultimately, you know, I can't thank Josh enough for the time that he put into me and, and, you know, certainly now I look back pretty fondly on our time together and, and what we could do and, you know, some of the results that we got. Now, is it is it fair to say his play style is still influencing Australia today? And what I mean by that is it seems like men, women, it doesn't matter. Everybody can hit a two ball. And you mentioned just how athletic he was and how aggressive he liked to play. We're like, were they one of the first Australian teams to bring that in? Is that just something that he was almost like a role model with his partner that everybody saw this style of play? And it just seems like, you know, if you're going to play in Australia, you better learn how to, you know, set these wide balls. You better be able to learn to hit on two and you better be aggressive. Like, is it he deserves credit or who's the one kind of driving this in the Australia system? Uh, look, I think it's uh, certainly Josh and Andrew, uh, along with their the coach, Craig Marshall, you know, they were the pioneers of uh, spreading the ball and jump setting, hitting the ball on two and and being aggressive on the offensive side of the game uh, in Australia and in the world. Um, you know, there was no guys jump setting the ball 
back in, in 2006 to 2008 cycle. Um, and it's just been, I suppose, a, a bit of a theme that has come through the Australian system. Um, I mean, we all, you know, I grew up watching Josh and Shotty play and, and obviously got to play with Josh as well. And the system has developed over time and, and people, we take our own, you know, you add your own little bit of spice and a little bit of salt to it uh, with what skills you have as players for sure. And, and you know, like the girls, Rufa and Taliqua have, have developed their own sort of style of doing it as well. Um, but now you see the rest of the world starting to do it as well, right? Like you see Qatar hitting on two now. You, you see, you know, everybody's doing it because that's kind of the way the game's going, I guess. Um, block is getting bigger. Servers are getting better. And so uh, I suppose in Australia we, we see it as our way to be competitive uh, and we like to be different. We, I, I like to, you know, um, it's the the way to compete for us, uh, and that the sometimes when it goes wrong, it goes really wrong, and you look a bit silly. Uh, but when it goes right, and you know, you you really stick it to some of the best teams in the world, then it kind of gives you that validation that you're going down the right track with it. And again, just kind of following your timeline, I, I I don't know if this is coincidence, but you you play with the vets, you, you gain some experience, and it looks like man, 2013, what a year and what a feeling it must be showing up to events. You win eight medals uh, between national tour and Asian continental stuff. Like you're, you, just, it just seems like you guys went on this huge run. That every time you and Kappa are going to a tournament. Uh, like I said, whether it's national tour or continental stuff, like you're, you're winning, uh, you take five top tens, uh, some of those are grand slams. Uh, you take a fifth at the Moscow ground stand. Like what, what was it like that year? Just showing up to a tournament, knowing you're going to play a lot of matches. You're going to win some money. Like just, just what a rush it must be to go on that run. Right. Yeah. Look, we had a kept mind phenomenal couple of years and, and 2013 particularly was, was, uh, one of the best years for us. We, we're undefeated through through our own national tour and then on the Asian tour as well. We dominated through that period of time. Isaac and I, we I think we won like 13 out of 14 Asian tour tournaments, uh, like three Asian championships in a row. But, yeah, obviously then on the world tour we came off that with a lot of confidence and got some really good results. The You know, we – also had some pretty average results at the same time, but you know, over over overall, that season was amazing. Uh, and Cap played really, really well. We were a really good team. Um, the the consistency maybe sometimes just let us down, but overall, like you can't. We we won a bronze medal in Klagenfurt at a Grand Slam. Um, maybe that was the next season. I'm not exactly sure, but he. Uh, yeah, like, you know, he was a great blocker and playing defense behind him was, you know, it was a lot of fun and, and I got to go back to the left side of the court uh, where I'm, with Josh I was playing on the right. So, um, you know, I'm more comfortable on the left and it kind of showed uh, for both of us. Like, that really dominated at the net uh, and he's a big blocker, like, for the time as well. So um, that season was 
tough in a lot of ways, but also really, really good. And looking back on that season and, you know, even reading out the results, I was like, oh, geez, we actually did win a lot, which was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. How do you personally like to approach that just in terms of expectations? Like when you were playing w- with Kappa, like, was it you go to a tournament and the expectations are to win and that's something you guys talk about? Uh, is it more like you want to play well that game and you want to advance to the next one and the next one? Like well, when you're linking this many results together, is it something you say out loud and it's like a, a results driven thing or was it about your play style? Because it, there's lots of ways to do it. I'm just curious how you guys kind of link this together and just what your mindset was. Uh, I think it's more, it's certainly not results based. I think if you're trying to, you know, going oh, we're going to get this result, and if I don't get this result, then it's kind of a failure. I think it's more of a process-driven um, sort of theme where you have your role for the team and, and the key themes that the team is trying to work at, um, and you're focusing on that, and from that then the results come. And so we were very strong at the time about what we needed to do individually uh, for the team to work, but also as a team how we wanted to be and how we wanted to portray ourselves. And I think that particularly through that Asian and national tour uh, created a kind of a strong presence on the tour, particularly in Asia where even if we were down, teams started to almost give the game back to you a little bit just because you had a a bit of a reputation about being a very uh, strong team that wasn't going to lie down. Um, and you know, on the world tour, I think like all your listeners would know, like everybody can beat everybody. And so if you're not on top of your game, you, you have to be pretty lucky or, you know, work really hard within the game to, to get a win. So, uh, if you're worrying about the result halfway through the game, then you kind of already lost it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's good to hear about your mindset because uh, again, looking at your career, it seems like you fire up to play at home. And what by what I mean by that is like you, you when you're on the podium, like Sheverton was at home, uh, Commonwealth Games, obviously you guys do well playing in front of family and friends there. Uh, I think Sydney, you guys were in the semifinals. I think you ended up taking a fourth at that event. So is there just something special about playing uh, in front of family and friends and being at home that just fires you up or maybe it just comes together where you're, you know, maybe a little bit more comfortable or used to the climate, you're used to the time zone. Like, is there anything to this uh, Australia results that you put together? I think it's just a bit of a mixture of everything, to be honest. I think it's a it's a mixture of because obviously we hold our tournaments in in our summer, which is then the northern hemisphere winter, um, and so that helps in terms of teams. Yes, they're training, but they're training indoors, or teams from Canada coming from negative twenty five degrees coming to Australia, where it's thirty five, and that I suppose lack climatization to Australia, but also teams understanding or maybe not being prepared for the amount of travel it does take to get to Australia. And so they're not used to getting on a plane for 14 hours, jumping off the plane and and playing four days later. It it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of uh, knowing yourself to be able to do a lot of travel and and get yourself up to play. And and a lot of European teams especially don't know how to do that because they don't have to travel that far a lot. Um, and, but also for us, you know, playing in front of family and friends, we don't get to do it very often. Uh, you mentioned, you know, Commonwealth Games. That was the first time a lot of my family, in, you know, my 10 years of playing to that point had seen me play a big international tournament. 
they don't we don't play a lot at home and and so the you know Commonwealth Games in Australia is probably the second most important thing besides the Olympic Games for the broader Australian public. And so, you know, Commonwealth Games at home was a massive event for us and, you know, we're privileged enough to, to play on, on centre court uh, for the, you know, for the gold medal against Sam and Sam and, you know, it luckily fell fell our way. Um, and still one of the greatest experiences I've had in my playing career, um, being able to share that with my family who have put so much uh, time and money to my career over the years. So to be able to, to share that with them uh, was a phenomenal experience. Yeah, obviously our listeners were familiar. I think that was a first-class event, like the stadium court and the coverage it received. Like we, we were all following back home. But uh, for you guys, how did you earn rights to do that? And once again, was it a nomination or was it you guys were just clearly Australia won based on every metric? Like how did you get the honor to be the, the host team there and play in a, in a major games like that? Uh, so Volleyball Australia through the Australian National Tour, uh, they ran a qualifying series. Uh, so it was the best of three events. Uh, so your results over the three events got put together and the top team out of that was then selected as the Commonwealth Games team. So it was pretty open. It was very open, transparent process uh, based on your results over the, the three events. So uh, we won both. We won all the events. Uh, and so that qualified us for the Commonwealth Games spot. And, and don't get me wrong, like there are a lot of good countries there. There's a lot of world tour players at the Commonwealth Games, but uh, with my Canadian bias, was it tempting to watch the way the pools were going and the way the brackets were going that you just knew you were going to collide with Sam and Sam because you were both playing at such a high level? And, and on paper, I think you were the top teams there. And obviously New Zealand's very strong and don't you run, there's other countries there, but did you kind of have like one eye on the board knowing that like it was going to trend towards that was going to be the final? Yeah, look, I think you, you look at the, the teams going in and you know, Sam and Sam were, uh, I think they were ranked at like 13 in the world at that point. And, you know, Damo and I were sitting around that 18, 19, 20 part mark. So, yes, as you mentioned, like New Zealand's are very good players um, and can put together some really good games um, and the same with England, right? So you, you could kind of map out who was going to be the the semi-final teams, um, unless somebody from, you know, Sierra Leone or one of those guys really lit it up and, and created some upsets. So uh, you kind of, I suppose for me, the actual most nerve-wracking game was the semi-final, right? Because against England, because it was you win and guaranteed a medal and the, the pressure's off a bit. But if you lose, then, you know, you're fighting for the bronze medal and probably a little bit more pressure to to win a medal. So uh, that, that semi-final game was actually the most pressure I felt during the whole tournament and probably the same for Damo as well. Nice, nice. And was there any uh, added distractions with it being a major games? Like uh, obviously you guys are doing well, uh, the women made the final. So did that kind of put beach volleyball on the map that like more people are maybe asking you for interviews or more people want photos? Like did it, did it feel different than a world tour event just because it was at home and it was a major games? No, it was massively different. The suppose the best way to describe it was the start of the, the tournament like there was spare tickets you could get a ticket to the beach volleyball pretty much you walk up to the gate and you could get a ticket by the fourth day of competition you couldn't buy a ticket for the rest of the tournament because nobody had really experienced beach volleyball and the beach volleyball um the vibe and excitement and the the crowd participation i suppose that the big tournaments in europe have uh, whether it's you know vienna 
um, a lot of the German tournaments. Uh, and so then the Australian public going, oh, this is beach volleyball. Like I've never seen this before. It's great. Like the kids can, you know, go nuts. You got the DJ going off. You got like the the light show and, and it's an amazing experience, right? So uh, for us to then win gold on the home beach and for it to be, you know, quite an iconic beach as well in Australia, the Gold Coast, um, the I've never experienced the the amount of media interest, the amount of, you know, I walk down the street to go grab a coffee with my wife after the games and people, oh, it would take me 45 minutes to get halfway down the street because all the kids wanted to grab photos and it's like, oh, this is cool. This is what like, you know, this is what Ronaldo gets. <laughs> or it's, um, it was such a unique experience being at home, massive games and winning gold medal. That it's something that, you know, I don't know whether I'll ex- ever experience it again. And for the girls, probably there was more pressure to win than on us. Because we were the probably the lower ranked, and then you know the girls at the time, Marifa and Taliqua, had come off winning a couple of four stars, and just sort of started their run as a team uh, and playing Mel and and Sarah in the final. Uh, it was a close game, and, and they you know tossed the coin and probably came on the wrong side, but the the expectation was probably on them a little bit more than us to win win the gold, um, but the experience that we all had at the games and the sheer fact that uh, at the way the Gold Coast, the games had set it up, that Beach Volleyball was the furthest event down the coast uh, away from all the other tournaments, uh, sorry, tournament sports. So the Beach Volleyball, the community at Coolangatta really got around and, and celebrated the the Beach Volleyball in the stadium and, and it was just a really cool vibe and, and place to be. That's so cool to hear and for you guys to play well and take it down. That's just such a cool experience. And uh, I just want to circle back to one of your earlier points about like the maybe the challenges that uh, other athletes have traveling to Australia because they they might not understand what it takes or the jet lag and all that stuff. But uh, again, look at your career. It, It has to go both ways. Right. And the reason I say that is because. You've played in in between April and the end of May. You've played a tournament in Thailand, gone to Sochi, Russia, gone to Turkey, gone to Cincinnati in the United States, and then gone back to Moscow. And then you'll you'll go back home and you'll play in Asian Champs later on in June. So uh, I, I'm curious. Uh, you mentioned it's challenging for us to go to you, but how do you guys find the the solve of you have to basically take a flight for every event, even this, like Asian Champs? Some of those can be traveling time zones and pretty far. Like how have you guys hacked the code that you guys can travel well and perform well because uh, travel goes both ways that we're all kind of going towards Europe, but it's not easy for either one of us to get to. I don't feel. Yeah. I think over the years you kind of learn uh, what you need to do individually. And, you know, as we spoke about before, I had Josh to show me the way in how to travel and how to perform and often doing the things that you don't want to do, whether it's, you know, (laughs) there was a rule in our team where, you know, wherever we landed, didn't matter where, what time, whether we flew to Europe and then it was like 2 a.m. in the morning, you get in the bus for an hour to get to wherever you're going. And I was like, all right, 10 minutes, we'll meet you downstairs and we'd go for a run. And we'd be running in, you know, Russia at 3 a.m. in the morning for 20 minutes and doing our exercises to try and just, you know, loosen the body up and, and get rid of all the, you know, how you get off a flight and you just feel gross and um, just things like that that, 
the older players sort of show you the way um, and that it kind of just then becomes ingrained in what you do as a player. Um, but also, you know, we kind of get used to it. You, you expect the the first training day after you fly to be terrible and you're going to feel terrible and you're going to feel like your heart's going to explode out of your, your chest, but then you know that the very next day you're going to feel a lot better for it. Uh, and so it's just embracing the suck to, uh, to to get yourself up to play. And, you know, that season that you mentioned, like going through time zones, when you're going through it, you don't – yes, you feel tired and you want to sleep but, and you fall asleep going to the courts or coming home from training in the bus. But uh, when you're going through it, you don't realise too much what's going on is it's at the end of the season when we get home and then you want to sleep for two and a half weeks because you're that knackered from the mental physical application that it takes to to travel and get yourself up and to play good and, and the the stress that you go through to play i guess yeah that that's so cool to hear and just for our listeners to understand like for you to arrive earlier and try to get used to the time zone like in our sport, that's a cost, right? So obviously, ideally, like you want to show up early and get used to it, but we just don't have that luxury sometimes. But uh, I'm curious if you found like a timeline that if you want to go play at a certain tournament, is there a rival time that you guys prefer? Like, I know it does affect the budget, but it, it, is there a certain like if it's this many time zones, we want to do this many days? Or have you found like a hack that way? I think the activation thing is key. I'm, I'm just curious how many days does it take you to feel like less groggy and ready to go again? Um, I think to be honest, sometimes you don't get a choice, right? Like sometimes it's you finish in Turkey on the Saturday and then, you know, you're playing in, in the US on the, the following Tuesday, Wednesday. So sometimes you just don't get a choice. You've got to go, all right, I'm booking my flight for the Saturday night. We're going to finish and then and go. Um, where other times it might be the start of the season. You're like, all right, I'll, I'll give myself four days until the qualifier to – to get yourself to play and trust that, you know, I've put myself through the preseason good enough, Nick, to, to come and be ready to play and I just got to get over the flight. Um, I don't think there's a certain formula that works, but it's just having a very good idea of when you're starting about, all right, this is how I'm going to treat this and not just go by, I suppose, your feelings and emotions at the time, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not going to train today because I feel a little bit sluggish. It's like, well, no, I need to do this now because that's going to be the best thing to prepare and to get a result. And, yes, uh, you know, getting to a certain tournament or staying, you know, getting to start early is going to cost you a fortune. Um, but, you know, what's the best thing to get the result at the end of the day? Because if you keep cutting costs somewhere, it's going to cost you at the end of the day somewhere in a result, right? Like a couple of hundred bucks here might actually – if you invest the hundred, couple hundred bucks early, it might actually give you a couple of thousand bucks at the end through a better result. So it's kind of the way I look at it, um, and whether it works out, time will tell. I guess. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And then to skip ahead to this season, uh, obviously COVID affected different things. It, it pushed the Olympics back, but uh, I'm curious if being in Australia, you guys had some unique challenges. And what I mean by that is just with the travel restrictions of your own country and the quarantine it would take to come home, did that affect 
your planning schedule or did you guys decide that, you know what, Continental is going to be our best route. Let's play national tour. Let's play Asia tour. Let's get ready that route. Or uh, were you guys seriously limited about going to maybe the Cancun bubble or some of these other events? Like what went into your planning to be an Olympian? Because uh, like I said, COVID threw a wrench in a lot of stuff. And I'm wondering how you guys did your seasonal plan to make sure that you were going to be right there. Yeah, look, COVID totally um, burnt down the house in terms of any planning that we had going into the Olympic season um, and even the season before that. Uh, Australia has had one of the tightest border policies uh, in the world, uh, along with New Zealand, and even now I'm talking to you from doing 14 days quarantine um, after, you know, Asian champs last week. So we're still going through it um, and it's probably sometimes hard for other countries, especially Europe, to understand how strict Australia is being um, and how even within our country we can't travel freely. Like Paul uh, hasn't seen his family for eight or ten months because he hasn't been able to travel interstate. Um, it's It's been full on and, and – you know, planning for us to the Olympic Games, we were we knew that um, we had to go through the Continental Cup process, and there was a lot of uncertainty about that. Uh, originally, Continental Cup finals was in China, um, and so at the time, and still to this day, going into China, you need to do two weeks quarantine on the way in. Um, and so, what they were saying was, you know, you got to do two weeks quarantine. Uh, then you've got to play the semi-finals of the Content Cup and then you've got to play the finals in China. And so that's like, what's that? That's four weeks already. Um, but then their quarantine system is very much you're locked in a room in a hotel for two weeks. And so as an athlete going, right, if I'm going to sit on my butt for two weeks, how long is it going to take for me to get myself back up to play in a, in a competitive state and not injure myself. So we're kind of looking at it going, all right, so if we spend two weeks in quarantine, we probably need, you know, two weeks of training to then compete. And so that trip then becomes six weeks. And with the timing that they were proposing, uh, that collided, well, not collided, but to then go and play Cancun bubble, uh, that would have meant that that trip blew out to 12 or 13 weeks um, and we wouldn't have been able to come back to Australia because of if we came back to Australia, then we'd have to do another two weeks, right, of quarantine. So um, we were looking at it going, you know, this we can't go to Cancun because we want to qualify for the Olympics and best preparation. We'll probably not be playing Cancun. Plus then I think the cost to go to Cancun was about $28,000 in flights each. So yeah, from a, I was talking about investing uh, your money before and that's a lot of money for uh, for not a lot of gain I don't think um, because you know the airline stopped flying to Australia there was no flights going in or out of Australia at the time because I think per week Australia was letting in like four or five hundred people through the whole of Australia's entry system um, and so there was a whole back and forth and then uh, ultimately China uh, gave up Continental Cup hosting rights, and so, but they did that a week too late for us to then enter for Continental uh, for for the Cancun bubble, right? So then it was, you know, all right, 
we're just doing content carp and we're going from there. Uh, and so we just focus solely on the content of carp uh, because we lost, uh, we came second in the Oceania round, so uh, to New Zealand. So we had to play the semi final in Thailand uh, the week before the final, uh, which probably actually looking back on it now is a small blessing for us being able to uh, play a week of games in the conditions uh, before then you know, playing the, the final round. Uh, the conditions in Thailand were tough. It was like 35 degrees and 80% humidity. Um, but we were, <laughs> the best way to describe it was Thai quarantine with an hour of volleyball a day. So you're locked in your room um, for 23 hours a day. You got a call 10 minutes before your training session started. You got to you got a call, you jumped in the elevator, you got an hour on court, then you got went back and got locked back up in your room. Uh, and so we were in the bubble for uh, it was three weeks, and uh, yeah, you know, we won, which was a phenomenal experience for for both Damon and I. It was an achievement of a dream. The tournament always threw up what it usually does. You know, Indonesia took down China, uh, which I don't think anybody really saw that coming. Um, but then uh, we ended up playing Indonesia in the final. But yeah, the last year was. Oh, sorry, this year, still this year. Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah, like going to Tokyo and playing was weird. It's a weird experience, uh, and not the probably the Olympic experience that you envisage growing up. I guess you see London, you see Tokyo, uh, sorry, Rio Olympics, and it's a massive party, and there's you know thirty five thousand people in the stands, and it's just going nuts and you get to Tokyo and you're like this massive stadium, you walk out in centre court and there's like 45 people in the stadium. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit of a weird one for sure. Yeah, like I think COVID provides enough distractions, but one thing that Continental's pretty unique is is you're working within a team, right, that dual system and going through that. Like how did Team Australia like to approach that? Because uh, for our Canadians, it, it's good and we love and we support each other. But for us, at the end of the day, we know we're going to, if we win the bid, we're going to have to play each other. So there's like a weird vibe around the tournament where like we hope we do well and we're going to try to beat up on Mexico and the other teams there. But we know at the end of the day, we're going to have to have this country versus country death match. So uh, was that ever overhanging that you guys are supporting, but you know that really only one of you gets to go to Tokyo? Like, did that ever become a distraction with your system? I don't think so. I don't believe so. Uh, I think for us, we once we knew that we weren't going to Cancun uh, and probably around Christmas time, uh, we kind of pulled everybody together and went, you know, we need to do this. We haven't uh, Australian men's team hasn't been to the Olympic Games since 2008. Uh, so it's been 13 years since Australian men have been at the, the Olympic Games, and you know it's time, it's time for us to to be back on the biggest scale stage in the sport. And so we worked really hard as a as a group of, of six guys to you know really challenge each other throughout the national tour and then at trainings to you know, get better and be super competitive, and that also created a pretty really strong bond within the group as well. That we had the the goal that we wanted to achieve and ultimately got there. But, you know, it's like we, we do it slightly differently to you guys. Like the whole one playoff game, bloody hell, like <laughs> that is, you know, you saw it in the 2016 cycle where, you know, uh, Binstock, Reader, I know, oh sorry, London, 
mean, yeah. Binstock Rita won the playoff game and, you know, they probably were the second team for the, most of the cycle to beat Ben and um, uh, Christian Renman at the time. Was, yeah. Yeah. During during the, the cycle, like, that's just – and then, you know, Rita ended up going to the Olympic Games and, you know, he achieved his dream. Um, and to put it all in one game is oh, – jeez, I'd hate to be in that position, but – um, for us, you know, we have our selection policies and that sort of stuff. But ultimately, I think within the group, it was just about getting a team to the Olympic Games, and that was the most important thing. Um, and you know, Damon and I ended up being on the the team being selected. Uh, but you know, Damon, both of us were so grateful to the boys who were there and with us in Thailand, Max and Zach. Um, and that we owed so much to them for their sacrifices. To prepare for the tournament, but also what they did at the tournament as well. Like they played lights out. So, um, yeah. And with your approach to the Olympics, like we've had Marquise on the show and he talked about like you try to be positive and you say, oh, it's just like another world tour event. All the teams are the same. But as Mark put it, it's not. It's the Olympics and there's no sugarcoating it. There's no watering it down saying, oh, it's just another tournament. So uh, I'm curious, did you guys meet before? Did you discuss it? Like when you're in the bubble, did it feel different? Like I know there weren't a lot of fans there, but still, this is this is the pinnacle. This is a goal for a lot of people. So how did you deal with just like the the emotion and the reaction of you're going to be an Olympian? And when you arrive, like what, was it a little overwhelming or how did you kind of manage like just being in Tokyo? Yeah, so I suppose... For me, the lead up to the Olympic Games was probably the coolest thing I've been through in terms of the, you know, the sheer excitement about going to the Olympics, getting a uniform, you know, doing all the media stuff, um, going, you know, I've been dreaming about going to the Olympics since I was 10 years old. And so for Damien and myself, I suppose our preparation for the Olympics was very different to a lot of other teams in terms of we did our three weeks in Thailand uh, then uh, we came back to Australia uh, and we did two weeks quarantine uh, and then we had a week's training and then we went to, to Tokyo. And so for us it was rolling up going, well, you know, there's no expectations on us. We're not, you know, we're not Norway, we're not Russia, there's no – you know, we're not expected to do much, but we're going to throw the kitchen sink at this and, you know, put our game out there. Nobody's seen us. For, we haven't competed on the world tour for two years. People have an idea of what we do, but, you know, we've changed a lot. We've worked a lot on what, we've, what we're doing and, and we're confident in what we do, but ultimately you just want to give it a crack and you want to play the biggest teams on the biggest stage. And, you know, we had a, an opportunity against Norway and, and, you know, things didn't quite roll out the way that we wanted it to. You know, losing 15-13 in the third is – you want to be on the flip side of that always. But, um, you know, for Damien and myself, there's – the Olympics was an incredible experience that we got to, to soak in and, and enjoy it for what it is. And, you know, it's having you know, 15,000 other people who are at the top, very pinnacle of their sports around you and it was a very – this is a cool vibe at the Olympic Games, right? And in some respects, I think probably not having crowd there probably helped us to, to play well in terms of it just being another volleyball game. Because I think when you have a big crowd, sometimes it the emotions, the crowd, but then 
it also hypes you up and hypes your emotions up and your stress levels can actually get a lot higher because, you know, you can sometimes ride the wave of emotions that the crowd are giving out a little bit as well. Yeah, I like how you mentioned um, you guys had nothing to lose. And the reason I bring that up, and I can take this out because obviously you're still playing and you'll probably face these guys again, but to play Norway and to go at mole and have success, like to lose 15, 13, and third. But uh, in a lot of people's opinions, Anders is, is the best player on the planet at times. But you guys didn't seem intimidated. You're attacking him. You're getting points off him. So is that just something you guys pride yourself on, that you're going to be confident, that there's nobody that you're going to be intimidated by or you're not going to avoid this guy? Like uh, you guys had a game plan. You executed it. You gave him everything they could handle. Like uh, w- what went into that team talk where the rest of the world is going Christian, 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 and obviously he's he's winning and he's doing well. But you guys went head on with Anders there and like i said uh, that that game was a, a coin toss really yeah look i think you know norway are an incredible team like you know they the guys are what 23 and 24 it's like unbelievable players and an unbelievable team um and anders is the best player on the planet you know his his ability to take over games whether it's his block or his serve is a phenomenal thing to watch and a phenomenal thing to see and he saw it at the Olympic Games like the semi-final and the final he dominated um, and show really showed why they he's the best player in the world and why their team is the best player uh, the best team in the world and so I think you know everybody every team on the tour is trying to find that you know magic pill to, to beat them and, and to find a little chink in their armour um, and for us, I think it was just, you know, giving giving it a crack. And, you know, I think some over the course of the Cancun bubble, um, whether there was some uh, injury concerns, whatever, lingering, uh, a lot of people actually started serving Anders. I think the whole tour sort of pivoted after that during the Cancun bubble. Uh, and everybody's trying to find a way to beat them. And, you know, for us at the Olympic Games, I think, you know, just tried to give it a crack and probably more focused on ourselves and, and starting out, but um, ended up scoring a lot of points, which, you know, always helps, I guess, when you're playing the best team in the world. Um, but I would say that was a, you know, after that game, I think they've won, you know, 18 games like they've won. They won the Olympic gold medal. They won the World Tour finals. They won the European Championships. Like they've gone on a on a fair tear after. So I wouldn't probably rip too much into it. And then once again, just to jump ahead, you mentioned you are in quarantine because you're returning from uh, Asian champs. And obviously you guys took that one down. Congratulations. And uh, I'm curious to hearing about your career and kind of connecting the dots where you've played with some vets and we mentioned Slack, but uh, was playing with Paul kind of re-energizing and just like a chance for you to return the favor? Like, do you feel like you passed on some stuff to him or uh, my second question would be like, what's it like playing your first tournament with a guy and winning? Like what was the expectations going into that one? And how do you get used to each other about, Hey, do you play left side or right side or who decides what and all the details that go into being a new team yeah look uh obviously you know we're asian champs uh, always great to win uh you know it's paul's first senior senior title which is pretty cool my fifth um but the you know i think the real it's great to win but i think we take a lot of confidence from 
the game against Qatar. We beat Qatar in the uh, semi-finals of the tournament. Um, you know, they're currently ranked world number one Olympic bronze medalist. They've had a hell of a year. I think they ran through their results and they only missed the podium once or twice in a year, which is a pretty phenomenal year for any team, I guess. Yeah, look, Paul, uh, he's an exciting young talent in Australia. Uh, he hasn't played a lot. Uh, he's just graduated dentistry, so he's been off uh, getting a career before volleyball, which is a smart thing to do. Um, you know, we gel pretty quickly and, you know, he's a really easy guy to get along with. He's a great bloke. Um some of the things he does, I just look back and go, I just got to laugh because they're just ridiculously insane. Um, and it's it's nice to, you know, he's a very different player to play with Damo. Um, Paul's kind of my size, he's 198, jumps, jumps through the roof and we play a very different game to probably what Damo and I used to. Um, and so, you know, coming together as a team, I do see my role as being a bit of a mentor for him. Um, you know, I learned a lot off Josh and 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 so I see my role being similarly, but I also learned a lot of Josh to be able to go, you know, Paul needs to find his own way uh, and in volleyball and have the type of player he wants to be and, and how he goes about it. But, you know, he's got a really good head on his shoulders Um and it's probably, you know, he showed in, in some of the critical moments that he is very level-headed under the pressure uh, that international volleyball brings and, and delivered. Um, and so, you know, it's super exciting going into next year and into the next cycle that uh, he can keep training and, and playing and getting that experience. You know, we spoke earlier in, the, in our chat that I had a lot of experience very young where he's probably on the other side of things. He hasn't had a lot of experience, but, you know, he's super talented at the same time. And, and so, yeah, coming out and winning his first tournament, you can see it both ways. It can be super exciting or it can be, you know, you can let those expectations come in about we're going to do this and we do that. And I think it's just for us having, A, having the opportunity to play, like that was his first tournament of the year. So, you know, super excited to play his first tournament, coming out of COVID, uh, having an opportunity. But also it's it's a super important result for the team going into the new World Tour system, uh, having some points and gives us a little bit of flexibility in terms of what we can play and where we play. Yeah, that, that's so cool to hear. And congratulations on another good result. As you mentioned, your, your fifth championship, which is this just a great thing to have on your resume there. So... I, I do want to thank you for coming on the show. I know you mentioned you're in quarantine, but I mean, you could be you could be calling family and friends. You could be talking to your wife. Uh, you, you could be doing a lot of things. So I do want to thank you for taking the time to tell us about your career. And one thing we're trying to build a tradition on this show is just uh, we've heard about your career. You're an Olympian. You're a World Tour medalist. You've accomplished a lot. But the, the volleyball community and volleyball in general, some funny or unique stuff can just happen along the way. So I was hoping you could just share a, a funny story before we uh, let you go. Yeah, sure. Um, I think just because we're on a Canadian podcast. Um, when I was young, we talked about, you know, I was on tour pretty young. So I think I was 18 at the time. It was around 2007, 2008. Um, before the days of uh, HD video recorders where you just had to press the button and you leave it for the game and it records the whole game. Uh, so when I was a junior, we lost in the qualifier. And so then the rest of the tournament was spent watching volleyball, but, 
at the back of the court with the video recorder on the tapes. And so you'd have to press the record button when the point started, save the score, and then once the point ended, stop the video so you didn't waste the whole whole tape, right? So it was the kind of getting to the back end of Olympic qualifying for Beijing 2008 Olympics. It was in Poland in Stade Blanki. And I was at the back of the court. I was, you know, a bit of a shy 18-year-old, not exactly sure what was going on, still a bit overawed by being at a World Tour event with all these great players on the court. And I'd been sent to the backcourt, court four, to uh, record Mark Heese and Aaron Cadu versus, I think it was Germany, Kareem uh, Klemperer. And it Mark was close to qualifying. They were on the bubble. Like they were really close. They needed some good results to um, to qualify, and this was like a big opportunity for them. Uh, and so I was at the back of the court, like the game's going along, all good. Uh, and then they started to lose. I think it was they were twelve all, and then it sort of blew out to fifteen twelve. And uh, I'm still at the back of the court, saying the score like twelve all, thirteen twelve, fourteen twelve, and I was clearly saying it way too loud. Because they won the fight it out, won the point. Mark's come back to the back of the court, kicked the back of the sideboard. He's like, would you stop stop with the freaking score? Like, I know what the score is. I don't need more. Like, don't need – I already know. It's just the pressure just got to him a little bit. And I just – I shat myself. I was like, oh, Marquise, oh, he's just told me off. Oh, God, like, what am I doing? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so the next point was like, <laughs> and, and they they ended up losing the game. And you know, Mark's a great guy. He ended up coming and finding me. You know, a couple of hours later, after he sort of cooled down a bit, and he was super apologetic. And I was like, oh, I just had no idea what to do. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Mark is a listener. Hopefully when he saw your name, he downloaded this one. If not, that story will definitely get back to him. And and that's such a Marquise move to be competitive and be in the moment, but then to also find you after and make sure he apologize. I can totally picture that, that that's, that's a great one. And I'm glad you gave that for our Canadian listeners just to get a kick out of the Heesmeister on tour. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you won't remember it, but for me, uh, yeah, it definitely sticks in my memory. (laughs) <laughs> well man this has been awesome uh it's great to have a player of your stature on the show and share some stories and follow your journey because like i said it's easy to look at the results and kind of try to connect the dots on your own but it's, it's interesting hearing your journey and everything that went into it so thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all that you did today no thanks matt thanks for having me and uh hopefully we'll see each other at a volleyball tournament sometime soon <laughs> definitely hope so